Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy. This is a swap cast with uh, some friends of ours. Uh, well, I met one of them at Childeberg. Um, Cotton? Hey, Zero was there too. Yeah. <laughs> well, who are you, Zero? Cause uh, I was the maybe- tall guy. Who brought the who brought the girl? So that brought the girl. Oh, okay. I do remember. Okay. All right. All right. So yeah. <laughs> I have no well, memory guys, of any of this. <laughs> yeah. Well you went you went you went back to Austin, then came back out. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay. south of Austin, but yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Now I, I have it placed now. All right. So I, now I know who you are. So I bet you both <laughs> yeah. at uh at Schilderberg. And um, it was nice to meet you. What's your guys' podcast called? Dissecting Liberty. Right on. All right. So we'll, uh, I guess, enjoy a, a little swap cast. I've got a couple of things that, you know, normal for Tasting Anarchy, a couple of alcohol-related articles that I thought were kind of interesting. And uh, we'll just see where the conversation goes. But before we get into articles, I usually start out by asking Mason what he's sipping on tonight. So... I don't have anything tonight, but I have the wines that I had last week where we messed, missed an episode because someone was off doing some exploration of the country. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't understand how Twitter works, so I didn't get on there and like try to get a hold of uh, Rollo or Will or Jared or somebody to uh, record with me. And I don't know what our Zencaster passwords are. So I, oh, yeah, I should I should have sent those to you ahead of time. Yeah, well, I had asked and then like you didn't send it. And I was just like, eh, I'm tired. I'll figure this out later. And then by then you were like in New Mexico. But I didn't realize you yeah. were driving. So like it could have worked. Oh, yeah, out, we but... drove. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually it was a great drive. I, I I was surprised at how pleasant a 10 hour drive it was. Yeah. And, that's and we basically we just kind of white knuckled it. We, we didn't really stop that much. We yeah. Went through beautiful part of the country. It's all desert. But um well, not all desert. It's like it is high, drier high than plains. The, yeah, it's drier than a lot where of it Cotton and I live. <laughs> we live yes, in, yeah, don't live in yes. the same part of the country, but definitely drier than we live. But um, so I had uh, the White Bush Cellars, uh, twenty fifteen Central Coast Chardonnay. So you know we did uh, talk about Chardonnay on our last episode as kind of our grape of the week um, sort of thing. So I wanted to try to have us be more more relevant to the the wine we're talking about and actually you know having an example of it relatively recently um so i you know i got that group on for my birthday um and i've been slowly drinking it down and so i pulled out the chardonnay um you know 2015 so it's kind of an older chardonnay which is interesting um because it's a group on and it's not like from a specific winery itself the group on i don't know if they're just clearing old stock you know like they they do that occasionally with those sort of things or if it was specifically meant to be aged that long um it's 13.2 abv um so look you know like clarified butter that's what it looked like um oh interesting so and it, it smelled like Chardonnay, which, you know, is kind of a cop out. Like if you don't know what Chardonnay smells like, but if you know what Chardonnay smells like, it has a very kind of white wine, somewhat melon, somewhat apple kind of in there smell. Uh, to me, it was definitely melony with a light acidity, um, but it did have some hints of the butteriness to it. So like I didn't look if it was oaked or steel barreled or anything like that. I didn't really go that deep into it because it's, you know, it wasn't like a super high-end wine and i also drank it warm when chardonnay you should usually cool it down a little bit and i I didn't bother to do any of that um but it it's kind of more viscous in the mouth so it definitely has that acidity and um interestingness to it and then um i'm going to save the other one for uh the grape of the week next week that i'll hopefully do the research on if i remember um so hint it's a georgian so right on all right yeah cool all right well uh Cotton, you mentioned that you had a drink this week. You want to go ahead and tell everybody what you're drinking? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember, but at Childerberg, I brought some Abita. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought the, uh, the, oh, what did I bring? Turbo Dog and the Strawberry Lager. Oh, yeah, I do. I remember those. I thought, yep. I thought you also had brought an Andy Gator, but I may just be oh, over. That's I, what I'm drinking right now. I, yeah, because I think Andy Gator is the one that like I know 
in my, you know, it's the one I, that's in my head from, from them specifically. So I might just be inserting that. <laughs> yeah. The, the Andy Gator, uh, it, it tastes like a stout. It tastes similar to, um, the turbo dog, which I don't, I don't remember if it's a stout or a, a black lager, but, uh, it tastes similar, but less caramel and a bit more of a fruity flavor. And, um, it's quite good. I, I, I'm being in Louisiana. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of Abita because they're probably, in my opinion, the best, uh, brewery in the state. And we have a decent amount. Uh, but for whatever reason, I never tried the Andy Gator. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty fond of it. It's, it's, it's interesting cause it's, it's dark. It, it has a very heavy flavor, but it's, it's a bit refreshing at the same time, which I mm. have, uh, that that's an interesting combo. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It sounds kind of like, uh, some of those darker Belgians, yeah. uh, that you get sometimes where they're not like as th- thick is not the exact right word, but they're not as heavy of a, of a, uh, of a dark beer as, as like a porter or a stout. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try that next time I'm out in the Louisiana area um, uh, this can, week. I was going to say, you yeah. can get the Andy Gator uh, locally here. Um, and we're well, further away from Louisiana. So I'm betting you could probably actually find it out there, Jacob. Yeah. Unless there's some sort of weird, like anti Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. Texas law, like all those, like <laughs> some, something weird like that. Uh, well, this week to kind of keep it on, the Childerberg theme a little bit. Uh, I went ahead and opened one of my bottles that I got from Spicewood Vineyard when we were out there. Uh, and it was uh, Spicewood's The Good Guy 2016. It's a red blend. Uh, it's 42% Tempranillo, 17% Grenache or Graciano, uh, 17% Cabernet Sauvignon, 17% Merlot, and 7% Syrah. Um, it's aged 20 month in 45% new French oak and 55% neutral oak. Um, so it's actually, it's very good. It's apparently all estate grown there uh, where we, where we visited. And um, I'll, I'll go through my, my notes on it. Uh, look is a dark brick. Um, it develops legs quickly. So it's got, you know, quite a bit of alcohol, less sugars. Um, smell is uh, dark fruit, vanilla, and spice. Taste is very spicy up front. Um, it's got some strong tannins. And uh, a lot of sh- red fruit flavor, a little bit of that kind of tobacco-iness to it, but d- the spice is just pretty, pretty intense on it. Uh, I like it. It's a. Uh, I think I said this on, uh, previously about about the other one that I had that it it's good, but it's not like it doesn't blow my mind like some of the ones I've had from Hill Country. Uh, I have also had this is this vineyard's owned by Ron Yates. He has another vineyard in the area, and I think also one up in High Plains, and. I've had a couple of his wines. They're pretty widely available. And for the most part, I'm just not that impressed by them. They're not bad. Uh, they're pretty good standard wines and they are available, uh, which is, you know, hard, hard to say about most Texas wines, but, um, yeah, overall it's good. Uh, not overly impressive, but it's a, it's a good wine and I'm going to finish the bottle today or tomorrow and, uh, and I'm going to enjoy finishing it. So, uh, check it out if you're in the area. It's definitely, definitely a nice place to go visit because it's very pretty. Uh, although I think well, actually this will get us into one of the other articles is uh, we are like sort of reshutting down in Texas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been multiple, I guess. So this is, I don't, it's not even conspiracy. Like it's, it's public information. The cases are rising, but as I shared with you earlier today, Mason, the tests don't really measure coronavirus <laughs> and um and it's also they're now counting when those numbers come out and they're like Texas is spiking 15% like higher or 50, 15 times higher or whatever it is it's because they changed the measurement practice and now uh they're counting contacts with a tested positive case as positive cases mhm because it's it's so virulent that being anywhere near them, just you immediate, yeah. Like have so, there's it, this, there's and this, you're gonna die. Yeah, yeah. There, there's this there's this bizarre recording that was from like the the county. 
I should I should have saved it and put it in here. But the uh, Collin County like board or whatever I don't know what they're called the managers of the county, uh-huh. uh, which is the the county where Plano is, and they're, they're going through this and like they're saying something like that they're averaging fifteen fifteen new cases a day or whatever. And somebody brings it up and they're like, uh, "Well, we only had like one person test positive," and then like the the lady who's testifying responds, "She's like, oh well, yeah, but now we're we're uh, the state has." given us these new guidelines and new guidelines are that presumptive cases count as cases. And they're like, well, how do you, uh, how are you arriving at those cases? And she goes, Oh, well these 14 people had contact with this, that one guy who tested positive. So they also are being counted. <laughs> and so, and like the guy on the board is like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. And, but they're like, this is like, and then there's actually some, this is more conspiratorial, but there have been multiple cases where people went to go get tested or they were scheduled to go get tested and they missed it for some reason. They had to go into work or they overslept or whatever. And then three days later, they received a positive test in the mail. Jesus. Oh, whoa. Well, you and know, so, like, if you don't show up, you're completely dead of the, the, the Rona. So <laughs> yeah. you had it. Come on. Yeah, so like that, like there, there's like conspiracy it's, it's, my it's, ass. It's, yeah. it's a lot of really weird stuff but th- but as a result of these like quote unquote surge in cases you know the governor said that uh among other things that any businesses that make uh 51% of their sales from alcohol sales or revenue from alcohol sales is considered a bar and needs to be shut down which pre- presumably includes wineries uh, but i'm not i'm not 100% sure about this but the article that i have is actually about a 4th of July party uh, that was held in protest at a Fort Worth bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is called uh, Rail Club Live, and uh, the title of the article is Fort Worth Bar Faces 30-Day Shutdown After 4th of July Protest Party. Um, it's by Eric Alvarez. Uh, so the, the Rail Club Live faces 30-day suspension of its operating license for hosting a, quote, tea party protest on 4th of July. Uh, opening on... F- Fourth uh, of July violates the state order. Governor Abbott signed in in an executive order closing all businesses that earn fifty one percent of their sales from alcohol. Um, minutes after the protest began on Saturday, uh, officers arrived and informed the owner that he could st- he could stay open, but would likely lose his license for thirty days. And so he chose to stay open. Was like, no, this is a this is a protest. It's a it's our right to assemble. Um, and, uh, so, and he also says that because he, he, they did not charge admission and they did not sell alcohol, hence why it was a tea party, um, Mm -hmm. that they were not in violation of the law, but because it is a bar, the, I guess the opposition is saying that they were in violation and this, the owner of the bar has had multiple Facebook posts, uh, saying what he thought about it. And he says, look, most of my competition, uh, sell food as well. And because I don't sell food, I have to shut down, but they don't. And so it's not, it's an unfair advantage to my competition. Um, and that this law is directly targeting bars. And then there's, a, there's an interesting quote in, in the article, which I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll go ahead and paraphrase it from uh, governor Abbott, where he basically says the one thing he regrets most about reopening is that he reopened bars too early because it encourages people to drink and talk which spreads Corona as opposed to shoving food in their face and then chewing with their fat, dumb mouths open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and that, that's kind of what I was thinking too, is like, it, there's, there's really no difference between sitting and having a beer together and sitting and having a meal together. And I would say that probably sitting and have a meal is worse because you're, you know, a lot of people do chew with their mouths open They're, you know, and then you also have waitresses going from table to table and mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. But, but I, I, if it, if it truly was a threat, like that's the yeah. But I it, like I can I can see like the logic if you look at it from the idea that um, if people are eating together, and then you know, they're, so they're eating together. Or, like generally, you don't it, they don't do generally like Jacob your fam- your favorite like family style. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I do people, love family style. Like people eat kind of separately from me like it's hey to you just eat with your family whereas like at a bar like i could see like the logic if like they were really showing that it was spread like you know we had concrete evidence that it was spreading the way they claim it was and you walk up and you're 
got a drink and then you walk up to someone else that you're not with, you know what I mean? Like that sort yeah. of spreading, but I, I guess so, <laughs> but for the yeah, most part, it, it doesn't work the way people are talking about it. Yeah. I know in Louisiana, uh, we're kind of sort of like, I think we're in phase two right now. And I think it's very possible we might go back to phase one because in a uh, Baton Rouge, there's this little cluster of bars, like little college bars called Tigerland. And they're, they're like clubs. They're not really like a typical bar and they get packed and everyone is super close together. And, uh, the minute they were able to open, uh, young people flocked there. And so they saw a, uh, and it makes sense. They saw like a rise of, uh, uh, positive cases. So, uh, they, they, I, there was some study that said that in that area, there was a rise of positive cases of people between the age of 19 and 25. So of course they're going to say that that's statewide they're going to leave out the in that area part of the uh, <laughs> title. So, you know, we're, we're uh, like I had a family member text me the other day and said, you know, I'll oh, be careful. You know, people in your demographic are, are becoming infected. And I said, yeah, within like a 10 block radius of Tigerland, <laughs> but not not statewide. Back to like how they count cases. I don't know if y'all listen to uh uh, Tom Woods put out a recent episode and he was talking about, I think he was talking about Texas, Georgia, maybe, and Florida. And he was, and, and he, he put uh, emphasis on how they're counting cases in Florida because that's where he lives. And he says, if somebody gets tested positive in Florida, and so they're out of work for a while, so they want to go back to work, you know? So then they keep getting tested because they want to see when they don't have it anymore so they can go back to work. But each one of those positive tests they get in the interim, that counts as one positive test. So of course the numbers are rising. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. And, and the, the other, the other thing too, like, and uh, he may have brought this up. I don't think I heard this episode, but um, is the, that testing is now free in a lot of places and the tests are, are easily accessible now, whereas at the beginning they weren't. So, like one of, like if you wanted to make the cases go down, just stop testing, mm-hmm. and and only do presumed cases. Like it, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It, and especially when, like, if you look at the numbers, the death rate is going down dramatically. Yeah. So, it's uh, it's becoming a a thorn in my side. It's making me even more angry than I was already. But uh, especially because I think that. I think they're doing it on purpose for some reason. Like they're, they either to save face or because they, there is a, you know, true conspiracy, you know, cabal of evil lizard people or whatever, trying to figure out how to like control us in some way. But, uh, even if that's not the case, like it may be like a, well, they have to justify that they did this when it turns out that from what it appears is that it was maybe a bad flu season is what the equivalent would be. And and then also what I shared with Mason, Mason from the CDC today is that, is when it says, um, what does it mean? Actually, I can, I can pull up exactly what it says because I, I sent it to Mason not too long ago. So, uh, so when it says, uh, what do your results mean? This is from the CDC site. So if you test positive, a positive test result shows you may have antibodies from an infection with the virus that causes COVID-19. However, there is a chance a positive result means that you have antibodies from an infection with a virus from the same family of viruses called coronaviruses, such as the one that causes the common cold. Right. <laughs> so like the, like this is even the CDC and there's, there's some other things that they, that they had in this like testing negative in that part. They're like, well, the test doesn't work very often. So even if you test negative, it doesn't mean you don't have it. So right. you're like, okay, so these tests that you're giving are false positive. You, you have no way, like according to the CDC, you have no way of telling if it's Corona or if it's a common cold. Or, or maybe they have a way, but it's it, they can get a false positive if you had the cold, which lots of people get the cold. Mm-hmm. And and even if you test negative, they're still saying, well, you maybe you still have it because the, the tests don't work very well. So, like, uh, I'll put it in the show notes that the CDC antibody test uh, guidelines or whatever that they have uh, out there. But it, it, I just found I just today was like a deluge of 
like I didn't really look into a huge amount of this stuff. Like Mason, you and I've talked about it a little bit, but like for some reason, like a lot of this information came across my, my desk or whatever today while I was doing different things around the house. And, um, I was just like, this is even more ridiculous than I thought. And then when I started looking into stuff for the show, I was like, I came across that article and then I came across our next article, which I'll go ahead and uh, summarize here in a second. And I'm like, maybe this is like a conspiracy by like maybe like automation companies or companies that don't want to hire people or maybe the fight for 15 people or something like that to get a lot of automation in so they can justify UBI and fight for 15. And so here's the article, the other article that I had that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, And the title is this hotel has a robot named Rose that will deliver wine to your room without human contact. It's by uh, Andre, Andrea Romano. So Hotel Trio in Heldsburg, California has a new robotic butler that offers a touchless experience when delivering wine to your room. Um, so Heldsburg is near Sonoma. Uh, that's where a lot of uh, very good wine is made. So there's, there's a lot of uh, small regions there, but it's also relatively close to Napa as well. So people who are going to just visit wine country would maybe visit there. Although California is talking about reshutting down wineries in certain counties. So maybe you won't be able to visit there, but we'll, we'll find out. Um, so the, this robot basically takes the place of room service. So the robot robot does deliver wine, but it can also deliver snacks, extra towels, toiletries, uh, small items like that, uh, to your room. And they're, they're testing it out. Apparently it's working fairly well. Uh, the touchless experience through robotics is increasing in popularity due to fear of COVID and, Probably that fear will will not go away from for a large number of people, uh, and so companies like the one that makes rose uh, are seeing an increased interest in automated systems that uh, remove human contact from the equation because humans spread diseases. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, what are your guys's thoughts on? Automation, I, it almost, and it's not just this, it's it's things that have been going on for the last several years that a lot of the things that either purposely or not purposefully, a lot of stuff has been pushing toward basically getting rid of these low wages job, which on the one hand, it, you know, in it could be good in, in like an organic situation where, um, you know, wages rise from increased productivity, you do want to automate some of these lower level jobs and it makes sense. But when the wages become increasingly high through artificial means, then you you probably don't. And and we've got actually a really interesting situation right now that I think if they really wanted to solve unemployment coming out of this whole Corona lockdown is you've got thousands and thousands of people who are unemployed or millions actually that are unemployed. Was it 40, 45 million or something like that? Um, who lost their job possibly temporarily, but you know, some of them maybe permanently. Um, you, the best way to get people back to work, if that's the goal, would be to eliminate minimum wage, so that so that there's more easily entry because you're you're competing with a lot of people, so they're going to want to pay the lowest wages possible because there's lots of qualified people going for a finite number of available jobs. But with high minimum wage, if a employer is looking at it and they're going, I've got a lot of customers who are going to, you know, like in this case, I got a lot of customers coming to stay at my hotel. They don't want to touch people because they're afraid of coronavirus infection or in the future, I'm sure they'll, you know, they're they're actually already starting to talk about a new swine flu coming out of China. Mm -hmm. Um, So people are afraid of that. So they're like, I could either hire somebody for some egregious wage for delivering towels, like $15 an hour to deliver towels doesn't really make sense. Or I can spend a couple thousand bucks on this robot that's going to do it for me. And people will feel good because it is, it appears sterile. Whether it is or not, that's another story. But uh, it appears sterile, and uh, so that's the that's the situation we're in. Any thoughts on on this topic? Well, speaking of that, so Virginia is one of the few states out there that has you know blackface leading governors um, <laughs> who has the still has the federal minimum wage. So it was in June of this year, July of this year, it was supposed to go up to like 955 and suddenly, you know, over the next four years or whatever, like that skyrocket. Um, but they ended up pushing that out to like 
June of 2021. So, like, oh, you know, for like once they were like, Hey, let's not kick them while they're down. And one of the things that like, you know, is always funny to me is we're so kind of going back to what this is. This is the narrative. The narrative is that mainstream media and for the most part, the government was basically being seen as irrelevant. Then something happened in China and everybody starts freaking out and looking to their government to do something in the mainstream media to keep them informed. So like, this is kind of like a big thing of Michael Malice and Dave Smith have kind of talked about of like the cathedral. This is kind of, they they're seeing it as the last gasp of the cathedral to kind of reinsert themselves. And the question is, do we let them do it or not? And, you know, I would say the four of us at least are saying, no, we don't. And we continue to ignore them and just not do what they say. But like, that's the big thing is like, oh, the minimum, you know, 45 million people are unemployed. Well, like I, you know, Jacob, you know, the business that I'm in have a lot. I have a lot of knowledge about what businesses are doing. And in Hampton Roads, where I live, they're not, they haven't really been impacted because of military contracting, but there are some businesses going like, yeah, the, like I can bring them back with my PPP money, but I don't have enough work for them to make more than they would make on unemployment because of the extra $600 a week that the government's injecting into it. So, yeah, and they're, and they're, and they are potentially expanding that yeah, this it, next bill. Exactly. And so there aren't 45 million unemployed people. There are what, 10 million unemployed people and a bunch of people who are just getting money. Right. Well, that, like, I think you and I discussed that a little bit is my sister had that conundrum where her company was able to come back, although they, they may be getting shut down again. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to come back. They called her and said, Hey, we'd like you to come back and work for us. And she had that, that sort of thought. She's like, look, I make a lot more money on unemployment right now and I'm able to focus on school and I don't have to pay for childcare. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, well, the, you know, they, they know that this, like they know incentives exist because they do take action sometimes to, uh, you know, prevent people from going back to work. But at the same time, a lot of these places are not letting people go back to work. Yeah. So, so a lot of people are there. The incentive is there to stay off of work and the, on both sides, there's no work and they're getting extra money. Yeah. So, well, back, back to the point of the cathedral, I know in my area, which is largely blue collar, um, just in my everyday life, I'm meeting more and more people that openly think that the populace has been duped about this whole thing, <laughs> which is very, um, it's encouraging, you know, cause I, I, again, I live in a very blue collar area and I don't know if the majority of Louisiana thinks this way, but I know there is a portion in, in different parts of the country that think the same way. Mm-hmm. And like that is spreading. And I mean, I believe that. And I, I bet everybody in here believes that as well. Like it's just, yeah. just duped. And uh, just hearing that, like I'll run into somebody at the grocery store and, and we'll talk about it and they'll say that. Oh yeah. And, I mean, it's very encouraging. Well, it's, it is encouraging. It's kind of a weird, a weird thing too. That's a little, I guess I wouldn't say discouraging, but it does seem to be like a very strong divide. Yeah. So either, People are are going like this is a lie, and they're and yeah they've duped us, or they're you know to you know to use a popular thing right now they're Karens and they are like flipping out like I I this is for the first time since they reintroduced inner well they made these masks mandatory here in Texas mm-hmm. uh, Kroger doesn't care but mm-hmm. uh, I went into Whole Foods because they have basil like in large bunches and I was making spring rolls so I wanted to go get like a big bunch of basil mm-hmm. and they didn't let me in because I didn't have a mask. There was somebody out front going, and what was funny about it, the person out front had no mask and they told me that I had to put one on before I came in, which like, I was like, okay, I, I didn't fight with them about it. But, um, so I ended up having to drive home and get a mask and drive back, but which was annoying. But, uh, I guess I could have bought one, but it was down, it was just down the street. But, uh, and then the second one was, I guess what you describe as a Karen, I went into the QT to get a, a big diet, Dr. Pepper. And, um, 
it's just some random lady in there was like, you're supposed to wear a mask. <laughs> and my response would have been, and you're supposed to mind your business. I just, I just, I just walked past her and ignored her. Like, I, I was just like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage somebody like that. There, there's no benefit to it. They clearly have yeah. something else on their mind. Like, so I just walked past her and went and got a Dr. Pepper without a mask from the soda dispenser, which hundreds of people use every day and touch you with their monster. grubby, dirty hands. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, uh, and th- 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 what's funny too about it was there were several other people in there that didn't have masks on. So I don't know if she told all of them <laughs> that or like, or what she was doing. She was just you, standing you, there. You you just look very dastardly. I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Like it was, it was weird. <laughs> it was really bizarre. So well, I, 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 I think it's, I think it's that classic, like I'm going to take, I'm going to find the biggest bully in the prison yard and I'm going to take him down. Mm-hmm. Cause as we like to remind our listeners, Jacob is a giant. <laughs> so but he's like the gentle <laughs> giant. So it's like, yeah, you're, you're picking the wrong person to try to like, you know, die on this hill lady. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But then, like, if I thought it would, if I thought it would be beneficial to anybody, like I maybe would have like talked to her, but it was like, it's one of those things where like, if somebody says something, you just automatically know this is not an interaction that's worth my time. Yeah. You could have and, had and, I, those, and I had stuff to do. You could have had one of those yeah. and then everyone clapped moments. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. right. Like call, this, her, call her like a name or something. But yeah. this is Texas, so like it's quite possible that actually could have happened. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is Texas, but it, it is weird. You know, I do live in a city, so it's it's weird. Like it, I feel like this is not the Texas that was promised to me, kind of. Like mm-hmm. the yeah. stuff that's going on right now. I'm like, what is – like this is not – like the way people are re- reacting to this is not what I was sold on when I moved here. Like I thought this was going to be a place where like people were generally free and minded their own business. But well, I've noticed in Texas there are, a lot of them are like thin blue line, like back of the blue type people, very law yeah. and order uh, focused. I guess. Let's well, see. I could deal with that. the The nanny state thing, which I guess it, that is kind of nanny state ish, but like. The, but like the back to blue, like blue collar people or whatever, who are just like, well, the cops are here to protect us and all that sort of stuff like that. You know, I kind of, I, I, maybe because that's like the culture I grew up in. Like I can tolerate that. Hmm. It's the, you're supposed to wear a mask. Those people I can't deal with. Like I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't want to live I don't want to live anywhere near them. Like the people who are like on the HOA committee who are like, yeah. oh, man. you're not, you're not supposed to have the fake grass in your yard. Well, I have fake grass in my yard because I don't want to cut it. So <laughs> like. Well, I, this, this is a minor point, but uh, there are very few times I've had to wear a mask. Like, I mean, I saw the optometrist and they required you to wear a mask. So I did it. And I have really bad allergies. And so when I'm wearing a mask, all that air blowing into my already dry eyes, I'm rubbing my eyes all the time. Oh, yeah. So like if I come into contact with somebody that has COVID, I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm yeah, maybe more sense. likely yeah. to get it. If I'm wearing a mask, because I'm just constantly rubbing my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and back to what I was saying earlier, most of the, cause I live, like I said, around a lot of blue collar people and I see a ton of Trump stickers and thin blue line stickers. And there may be six different people on my street that have like thin blue line flags on their house. And they are also the people that are like, Oh, this, this thing was just a big scam. I'm not wearing a mask Screw this. But then they, but then at the end they'll say, "Thank God Trump is president." You know, he's blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. You know. Well, I mean, like uh, yeah. to, to be honest, like let's say that everything happened, like this. Let's just say that this was like, say it was a an escaped virus from China. You know, whatever you want to say. Like Joe Biden's already come out and said that he would make everybody wear a mask. So, like, not to give Trump like undue due, but like you know how they were telling us that like they had literally elected Hitler and like how he was going <laughs> to, you know, just destroy the, like the like Western world and values and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm not saying like he's good. I mean, he, he did hire John Bolton was surprised when John Bolton yeah. turned on him. It's kind of like, did you not know what you were getting yeah. into? Like buddy, like, but you know, all that being said, it's kind of like people are just like constantly surprised that like, and I am too, in its own way that like he hasn't turned out to be just this complete monster that he could have been like, cause he's, you know, got those weird instincts, but like, 
you know, he's been relatively weak in this and like not pursuing a bunch of crazy nonsense. So it's like, huh, this is well, really different a, than what I was expecting. Yeah. Well, I know uh, for a while, Tom Woods was saying this is like one of the only instances where federalism has worked out <laughs> and mainly due to like Trump's inaction with the good connotation, mm-hmm. you know, his yeah. inaction with uh, all the COVID stuff. And I mean, it's, can you imagine if Obama was president right now? Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, they this would have been I, I think yeah, I think you would have seen a lot more overreach. And I, I think part of the reason th- this is maybe me backseat or what do they call it, Monday quarterbacking or backseat driving or whatever. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think that the reason why Trump's doing this, I think he recognizes that people are trying to bait him. Like like that whole uh Chaz thing, which doesn't really have to do with the COVID stuff, but like I think that the government in Seattle and Washington was trying to bait Trump into sending in troops to break up Chaz. And he just was like, you deal with it. Well, it's your I, state. I think two things there. I don't think you're wrong necessarily, but I think th- they were like, maybe he'll jump in and then we won't have to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, I think they kind of had that like prospect of like, maybe he'll deal with this for us. And if it goes badly when he goes to deal with it, we could have been like, oh yeah, yeah, we didn't call him. You know what I mean? But like, if it goes fine, we can, you know, kind of save face and be like, oh, we're going to make sure they don't press charges, you know, like something like that. So like, I think they were truly bothered by it too, but I think they took the opportunity, like you were saying, to like, see if he would do something. And he's kind of like, no, (laughs) not going to do that. Yeah. Well, there's been, there's been several instances during, during both the, the protests and rioting that's going on. And the COVID stuff where it seems to me that like, you know, like you say that federalism is going on and that they've tried to bait him into basically sending in national troops or or taking a national action, which then they could use to beat beat him over the head with during the election. And it's gone so poorly, like especially with the uh, the protests is because in so many places, these protests have gotten out of hand and turned into rioting or be- become kind of a crazy thing. And he's been very hands-off and been like, look, I encourage you guys to take action, but it, this is a state's issue. It's not a federal issue. And, um, which is an interesting instinct for somebody like him to have. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because I think he, I don't think it's an instinct where he thinks there's a proper role for the federal government. I think it's that he knows that they're trying to bait him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like so much of the, like I, I was having a conversation with a family member the other day and I said like, uh, a pet peeve of mine is like when a Republican says that Nancy Pelosi is stupid or when a Democrat <laughs> says that Mitch McConnell is stupid or, you know, insert any name. AOC. I mean, yeah. Right. Well, no, I, she may just be, dumb, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, but I, think she's, I think she's created. I, I think she's, I think she's like a plant. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, but, she, uh, on that. Yeah. She's, she's definitely being, it's like JFK. He, he wasn't that smart. Yeah. He had handlers, but he may have been smart enough and she may be smart enough to let them do their job. But do you think that AOC has different handlers than Nancy Pelosi? Because uh, I'd accept that, you know? No, I, I think that, I think Nancy Pelosi is more like a power broker. And I think AOC is yeah. more like a, cre- a created personality. So, okay, but do, but do you think they're guided by the same forces? Yeah, I think so. Probably. I think it's just okay. the, the, the state at large. But but just to finish my point, like mm-hmm. I, I, it, it bothers me when people say these people are stupid because they are not like Nancy Pelosi knows exactly what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, yeah, we can yeah. get we can get very uh, conspiratorial on this because I, I made I in the discussion, I made an exception for AOC and uh, Biden. But, you know, maybe Biden, maybe they're doing this intentionally because they want Trump to get elected, whoever they are, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. Epstein people. But, I mean, it, it, they're not dumb. You know, they know exactly what they're doing. And none right. of this is, is unintentional, you know. Well, yeah, I, I think I would I think that's correct. I think that it is there is some sort of intention. Whether, you know, it may it may be kind of one of those things where like it's like catching lightning in a bottle, but like more along the lines of something that might work for a time. But I think they just make tactical errors. Like one of the things that like, I think Nancy Pelosi, I don't think is a stupid, but I think like sort of coddling the extreme left 
is a is like a tactical error on her part. I think she does it. I don't think she's extreme left. She's you know a corporatist, yeah. but but going along with like going like basically getting in bed with like Antifa, the communists, and things like that, where she's just like, oh well, let them do this. Like she's gonna have her head chopped off if they get control. They don't like her. Yeah, and I like, agree completely. But yeah, like this is a it's a very different. I think it's a tactical error. Like maybe and maybe it's like arrogance, or maybe they know something that we don't know. Maybe. Maybe she's just like, no, they're not a threat at all. They're really great for optics. And uh, people like me are worried about it. And so she can use that. Um, but, you know, who who knows? I mean, like this is – it's one of those things. Like I see I see a lot of this stuff that's going on right now. Is, I wouldn't say terrifying because I think that the country will break up. I, I, it's just not – I don't think it's sustainable the way it is. But and, – and even if all of what's going on right now – hadn't been going on i think i think we'd be we would i mean mason you remember when you and i first met like 10 years ago or whatever (laughs) we were make we were making predictions that the u.s only had like 20 years left so (laughs) yeah i mean like you you were you were definitely that way like i didn't think at the time necessarily that it was out the door but that's like to kind of the thing about knowing nancy pelosi is like and this is one of those things where i don't think people seem to really get the idea that like how like how protected those people are Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like so i think it's clear that like if nancy pelosi was like threatened like there are you know she military assets that would protect her so like i don't think there's any chance like antifa or any of those people get out of hand as we would say um and like put risk to her life um but also I think, you know, I'm reading this. Um, so there's a guy, his name is Victor Sebastian. And uh, Victor Sebastian was uh, this guy who um, he wrote Revolution 1980 or 1984 Revolution. It's like this book Michael Vallis always talks about, like the fall of the Soviet Union and how like it was just basically the Soviet Union's there yes- yesterday. You think it's going to be there tomorrow and then it's gone today. And like how it bloodlessly fell but like he also wrote a biography on lenin and like when you're reading about like all the crap lenin did and all this you know just crazy it's lenin and you're kind of like oh yeah like they purposely incited people to like murder each other in the streets as part of revolutionary justice and the whole like colax which is their like term for you know people who um like the wealthy peasants, peasants rich, right? yeah, rich peasants, the, the that, successful yeah, farmers, yeah, rich peasants, successful farmers, but like there were no colacs. It was just a, a way to inspire this terror. So like, and you know, there's like were the British helping them, were the Germans helping them during the war? You know, like all this stuff, and you know, it's it's kind of interesting to look at it and go like, maybe they really do have no flipping clue what they're doing. And I've always been of the opinion that they're, they can't be that dumb, but maybe they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have a, a, like my, my training is in uh, philosophy and psychology and on our show, dissecting Liberty, we, uh, we've done a couple of episodes on the social contract and uh, my biggest issue relating my biggest issue with the social contract relating to this discussion is one of the main justifications for the social contract is because people are infallible. People are selfish. So what we need is a oh, people are fallible. Say, yeah, right, right. People <laughs> are fallible. People, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. People are, we're not talking about Ron Paul, you know, we're talking about people. <laughs> right. Scott Horton, but, uh, some other people. Yeah. <laughs> People are fallible and people are selfish. So what we need is a, you know, replace it with whatever you want, a constitutional government, a uh, society with Rousseau, a Leviathan with Hobbes. We need something like that, a state to rein in the fallible and selfish people. But none of these philosophers talked about the fact that the state would be made up of fallible and selfish people, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. What's the point? Yeah, well, it's that. It's that. uh, 
I don't remember who who the quote is, but it's the like if people were angels, they wouldn't need a government, and if um, and if people are devils, they wouldn't dare have a government. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. I, I can't remember what the quote is exactly, but uh, it's something along those lines. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's who's gonna that's who's gonna be in charge. Particularly the way that the way that the structure, the incentive structure of the state is, uh, it kind of it sort of pushes. You know, like how like the cream rises to the surface. Well, like in this case, it's like the shit rises to the surface <laughs> because like that's just the way that that's the way it is. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. that's kind of how it refines itself. Like people like people that have skills and stuff like that don't typically go into politics. <laughs> they they typically go into business. Yeah. Like they they want to do things that like matter. Well, it's and then like, you end up getting people like uh, Maxine Waters or whatever been in who. Something's wrong with her, and like she's been in politics forever. Joe Biden, yeah, Joe Biden, same yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, like he's been, yeah. When uh, when I first started dating uh, my fiance, uh, she was more on the left side, and so whenever I was trying to explain kind of my philosophy to her, uh, one of the things that I was talking to her about would be like uh, democracy, right? And so I, I would tell her, like, listen, like if. Uh, if you need a ruler, then that means you're not qualified to choose your, your leaders. Right. Cause uh, mm-hmm. if you can't govern yourself, then, then you can't, you can't uh, choose the people that will govern you. And you know, right. the state is, is filled with those uh, kind of those uh, not ironies, but uh, well, yeah, irony, but uh, those uh, paradoxes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, I think it kind of kind of sums it up. Well, uh, we're getting close to the end of the hour. Do you guys want to plug your show real quick so yeah. that people can hear it? Go for it, Cotton. Yeah, we do the uh, Dissecting Liberty podcast, and uh, I'm Cotton, and that's Zero, my co-host, and uh, and I'm also his co-host. So um, <laughs> yeah, we we often do that too. <laughs> we're we're kind of <laughs> like the. Wait, how how do we describe this? <laughs> the co-equal host. Yes. The co-equal, yes, exactly. Uh, we do a weekly show, and it's a lot of fun. We have our live shows, which are a mess. Um, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Cotton Arcist. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Liberty Zero. And uh, one more thing on my end, uh, I recently launched a website called The Cotton Report uh, that is a... Uh, a nice amalgamation of uh, headlines trying to separate the wheat from the chaff of uh, political media. And um, also we have a decent amount of original articles written by our staff of writers. We have a decent amount of writers uh, and uh, nice. go to cottonreport.com and check it out. Highly appreciate it. Right on. Uh, I had, Oh, you guys recently had uh Pete Canones on your show. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's definitely cool. Yeah, it was great yeah. talking to him. So well, uh, he's, he's pretty he's pretty amicable. He, he comes on a lot of people's shows. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, this is just an aside, but Cotton sent me a uh, like a screenshot of the record, like our three tracks recording, and it's like all Pete. And then there's just like <laughs> oh. little clips of us, ninety-eight percent easily. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) it's funny, like if you kind of listen to like the our episodes where we have people on like, you know, more than one person on um, or like a guest on like a lot of the times, like I just like, you know, one of the reasons I do the show with Jacob is I enjoy listening to Jacob talk and he's very verbose. So like there'll be a lot of times where I'm just sitting there going like, all right. Okay, I'm learning yeah. a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it seems like I'm not participating and it's like, nope, just just learning. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, put a pin in it and call it an episode. I do want to tease for next episode for those Tasting Anarchy listeners. Uh, one of the topics, Mason, that I wanted to go over with next week was cool climate grapes. Mm. So I think that would be an interesting uh, topic to cover is uh, wines from cool climates versus wines from warm climates and um, what you can kind of expect to be the difference between those. We, we, we talk about it once in a while when we just refer to, Hey, this is something we got from this warm place and it tastes like it's from this warm place. But, mm-hmm. uh, this will be a little bit more in depth into, 
uh, warm climates versus cool climates and, and what you, what you end up getting out of that. So I guess that's it. Really Uh, quick. Really quick. Sure. Yeah. For for our listeners, y'all give y'all's plugs. Oh, oh Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, Um, This is go ahead. (laughs) Okay. This is, this is Jake from uh, tasting anarchy and uh, you can follow me at Childerberg on Twitter or at tasting anarchy on Twitter. So this is Mason from Tasting Anarchy. You can always follow us, Tasting Anarchy uh, at gmail. Or send us an email at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Go to tastinganarchy.com. Uh, well, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Send, uh, send us an email. Go to tastinganarchy.com. Uh, you can go to childerberg.com, which is also a site that uh, one of us runs, not me. Um, <laughs> uh, Childerberg on Twitter. Um, I'm not on Twitter, so uh, you can follow our Reddit where we have tasting anarchy and Childerberg. If you're Redditors. Um, yeah. Yep. I guess that's it. All right, cool. Um, all right guys. Well, thanks for coming on and thanks for having us on your show. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us guys. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll get this cleaned up and I will, uh, I'll send it out shortly without, uh, any of the intros and outros. So you guys can put what you want on yours. Sure. Sweet. Yeah. All right. We always say at the end of our episodes, stay free, stay free. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Should we do our outro? Yeah, yeah, yeah do it. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm Liberty Zero, reminding you to zero your rifle. And I'm Cotton Arcus, reminding you to pick cotton voluntarily. All right. Take it easy. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drink it wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton Sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilfield at Willis Den. He wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine. Wine for the other day. Wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the other day. Wine. Wine for the other day.